I'm excited to be back and join all of you this weekend as we kick off a four-week teaching series. It's kind of our flagship series of who we are as a church. We're going to be covering our four movement makers. You see them on the banners every week in that hallway out there, those giant banners. And we're going to be talking about the details of what that looks like for us as we join with the 2,000-year-old underground movement of Jesus Christ. And my heart during this next few weeks together is not just that you would hear about our church, but actually that you would join with Jesus and what he's doing in the world. Our, uh, and this weekend is our motto. We're going to be talking about our motto is to live boldly and to love deeply in our different sphere of influence. And we'll explain what all of that means. But we're going to do something a little different because we've talked about this a number of times before. We're going to give you the how this weekend. And I'm going to share some stuff with you I don't think I've ever shared before. And I'm, I, I can't wait for those of you who came here maybe for the first time to hear about what God is up to still today, 2,000 years later. And I also can't wait to give you a little church history on the underground movement of Jesus, where it's come in the past and where I think it's going in the future. So super pumped and excited to be with you. If you will open your Bible or power yours on to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at one verse there in verse 13. As you're turning to Acts 4, let me give you a little background here. The book of Acts was a part of a two-part book, Luke-Acts. And Luke had written the book. He was a first century physician. And this guy named Theophilus asked him to write it. We know that from Luke 1, uh, 1 through 4. And so the Gospel of Luke talks about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and then the book of Acts talk about the acts of the apostles, or the sent ones, the early disciples of Jesus. And it talks about how it goes from 11 uneducated teenagers to thousands and thousands of people all over the Roman Empire coming to know Christ within one generation. And we believe here that that church is still living and active today. In fact, by the time uh, you get to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, and he gives the early church this gift. He says, hey, I'm not leaving you alone. Here's the Holy Spirit for you, the counselor, the advocate, to walk with you, yes, you, in anything that you're going through. And then chapter 2, they start meeting together and loving each other in community, and people are coming to Christ. And then chapter 3, Peter preaches to 3,000 people come to know Christ. And one day, as he interprets that into all the different uh, uh, languages that were present there in their native tongues, and the Holy Spirit works. And we get to Acts chapter 4. And now the disciples are beginning to step out in their faith. And Peter and John actually get thrown into prison because they've been preaching so boldly on the account of Jesus. And that's what brings us to Acts chapter 14, verse 13. Excuse me, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. You ready to study God's word, church? Wow, that was a lack of passion and boldness this morning. Are you ready to study God's word, church? Woo! Okay, verse 13, it says, uh, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Uh, Davey alluded to this last weekend. I want to highlight it one more time and a little deeper. In that first part of verse 13, it says, when they saw the courage, the courage of Peter and John. Underline, circle, highlight on Evernote, whatever you got to do, that word courage. This was significant. This is what made them stand out. The word courage there is actually the word parisia in Greek in the New Testament. It means boldness is how I think it should be translated, but it does mean courage or outspokenness, assurance, confidence, without fear. 
It's what will give Peter, who had denied Jesus, the authority and the power and the assurance to go into all these places and heal sick people and preach the good news of Jesus. In fact, the word there that they use when it says that they were ordinary men, the word ordinary in verse 13, as uh, Davy said last weekend, it's the Greek word idiotus, which you can guess is where we get the word idiot from. So literally, they said that they had great courage, Peter and John, and realized they were unschooled idiots. Like, you can't make that up, right? Like, I want to guess, if you came in here today, that you have somewhat familiarity, at least with the story of Jesus, and you may feel like you're unqualified and not capable to make an impact in this life. Live boldly, love deeply. Well, that's great for other people, never for me. God used some teenage, excuse me, idiots to change the course of human history. How many of you parents of teenagers are like, that is impossible, but the word's accurate? Anybody? Come on now. I'll I'll tell you that God could use the most broken person in the room right now. His qualifications are how well you were educated, how much you have pride and respect in the community, It's whether or not you submit to him as Lord, as we'll look at here in a minute. But this this bold faith that you see there that was present with the early disciples, they just had this bewildering willingness to just follow Jesus, whatever he, he asked of them. And that's what transformed their culture. In fact, I love this passage because in Acts 4, they get thrown into prison, right, because of their boldness. And then we'll see at the end of our time here today, do you know what they do when they get out of prison? They go and pray for more boldness. Now, I don't know about you, but like if that's what got me into prison in the first place, I'd probably be, get out and be like, I, that, the boldness is the problem. I need to stop being so bold. Just keep my mouth shut, put my head down, stop talking to people about this Jesus thing, and just move on, be a good person. Hopefully, I'll go to heaven when I die. But that's not what they did. And that's why we're all here today still. Because these few ordinary, unschooled teenagers... We're used by God in a way that we can only hope to. It's why when uh, we moved here from Southern California to start the church, um, I, I had lived in California for seven years. My wife, Lisa's from there. She and I had seen what it was like to live in a post-Christian culture and what it took to you know, live on mission in a space like that. And coming back to Indiana, I had grown up in a small town in Indiana, and I, I knew that it was kind of common to be a cultural Christian. You know what I mean by that? Like, just kind of a nominal Christian, because you grew up around it. And so, yeah, you're a Christian, because grandma told me I was when I was seven years old, right? And I, I, I knew that coming back here, we were going to have to live boldly our faith out. It's why we almost, many of you know this, but we almost named the church, I'm not making this up, Moxie Church. How many of you are glad we didn't do that? But the word Moxie, it means to have guts, And we want to live with bold faith in our culture like the early disciples, but not like angry bullhorn boldness, okay? Sometimes I think that's misplaced. Because in the New Testament, it wasn't about alienating people. It was about living boldly and loving deeply in your sphere of influence, loving people right where they're at. It's why in John chapter 1, when it talks about what Jesus, when he came, in John chapter 1, it says in verses 14 and 17 twice that he came to bring both grace and truth. There was a bold nature of the truth, and there was 
the grace-filled love that we're called out to live, that tension should be held together tightly. You should always find both of them. So by the time we get to Acts 4, and the gospel is spreading because of their bold faith, it brings up the questions that I often ask, which is, how? Because we can, we can talk about living your faith out boldly. By the way, our mission statement as a church that you'll hear week three is to see people far from God, if that's you here today, be discipled into a passionate relationship with Jesus. But if you really want to break down passion for the way we live it out as a church, it's those two words. We're going to live our passion in Jesus out boldly, and we're going to love people deeply right where we're at. And if it feels impossible to you, that you're unqualified, welcome to the club. See, the how is actually the most important part, not just to go out and inspire you to be bold and to love, but to actually understand why why we do this and how we do this and why did they do it? Did you catch it? We're going we're to break it down here in a moment. In verse 13, look at it again at the very end of verse 13 in Acts chapter 4. It said, they, these men had what? Been with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. They have an understanding of Jesus as Lord that you and I only are beginning to probably comprehend in our American culture. And so the question I want to ask you, and then we're going to pray is Jesus the Lord of your dating life, of your marriage, of your finances, or the way you parent your kids? Is he the Lord of what you do with your time? Is he the Lord of your physical health? Is he the Lord of your Netflix account? Is he the Lord of your life? Will you pray with me? God, I pray that... First, thank you for every person that just packed out this room this morning. And for those that are attending live online from different parts of the world, we begin and acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us. Thank you, God. I pray that you take my words away and replace them with what you desire through Scripture to speak to us. I pray, Lord Jesus, if there is one person or many people here today that this challenges us in our faith. I pray that they don't just walk away feeling guilty. God, that's not our desire in this place. We are a hospital for sinners. But God, I pray that as we encounter you, we are transformed by what you have to share with us. We love you, Jesus, and we give you this time. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. As we dive into this, I want to do some. Can we thank Davey Blackburn for doing a fantastic job preaching last weekend? It was incredible. you got to watch it online, on demand if you haven't already. Just did an incredible job talking about our mission. I'm glad to have a part of the team and just an amazing man of God. Almost too amazing, right? Would you agree? Like, uh, Eric and I were talking about it later. Like, I mean, he's up here on the stage. I mean, do you see the size of his quads? Like, I know a CrossFitter when I see a CrossFitter, and got me feeling a little guilty, a little like, man, something wrong with me. So I, I'm not making this up. I went out this week and I decided that I was going to start getting in shape because Davey told me to. And I, I, went, I went to the track with my 10-year-old. He's in fifth grade. And I got Davey by a few years. So, you know, I'm getting up there. And I went out on the track with Jake and we began to run around. And then he decided that he wanted to run a two-kilometer uh, race. Now, I haven't uh, run more than about a third of a mile in, well, 10 years or more. And so, like, to go out there and try and run two kilometers without stopping, I was like, that's impossible. But I'm going to do it because, you know, Davey, he, he threw the gauntlet. So I'm going to go out there, and I race. And get this, I finished the whole thing. Never walked once. 
Thank you. Now, the 10-year-old did beat me by a minute and a half. So, you know, there, it was a little struggle. But as I was running and I was running around, I was like, maybe I should have just done CrossFit. That must be easier for Davey, so maybe it'd be easier for me. But I'm running, I'm like, man, I've run as hard as I can trying to do this. And you know what never crossed my mind? This is fun. <laughs> I literally thought, maybe uh, runners, I know some of you, you run like, you know, like 26.2 miles all the time, and we're going to pray for your eternal salvation. But like, I run like a mile, and I'm sitting there thinking, go, why in the world would anyone ever do this? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> and then you know what happened? After I sit there for that whole time running as hard as I can, and I get done, and I look around, I'm exhausted, going, why in the world would anybody ever do this? And then I walk to my car, and I catch my breath finally. You know what happened next? You know, I feel pretty good. Maybe I'll go do this again tomorrow. And I woke up today and felt my hamstrings never happening again. But <laughs> there's something about when you, get, when you get physically healthy, right? When you exercise physically, you understand as you're doing that that no one, I don't really like this experience. However, at the end, there is a result that I enjoy. And then the next time you do it, it gets a, a little bit less strenuous. Here's what I find. A lot of people in today's culture and society would love to be used by God to, to help people in need. Right? Like there is su such poor in our city even. People that sleep out on the street at night. And we have people living out their faith to impact that community. We see people right here in Hamilton County. I was talking to, I don't know if you know Kathy Craig's husband, Steve, he actually uh, leads Habitat for Humanity in Indian and Hamilton County. He's telling me about this family that needs a home. It's like, there is a worthy cause. Would you agree? And you go, I would love to make a difference and make an impact. I, I would love to be used by God to lead one person to faith, that they spend eternity with God instead of separating. I would love to be used, but the truth is, whenever, whenever I do it, I start, it gets kind of hard. And there are moments where I get tired spiritually. And I begin to ask questions, is this really worth it? Can I be honest with you? Two decades I've been doing ministry, living my faith out. That never goes away. Now, when you're exercising physically, you don't look around after half a mile and go, why am I getting winded? If I was doing this right, I wouldn't be getting winded. No, it it's happens. By the way, the Bible in the New Testament compares, you know, your faith to a race and to run it well with perseverance. And I know that there are those times in our life where I want to live my faith out boldly and love people deeply and help people in need and do what we're called to do as Christians. But the truth is, it's hard. And when it hit me, it was always that way. Why do we think that because it's hard that it's not worth it or that something is wrong? I was reminded, C.S. Lewis writes this. I thought this was beautiful. Some people feel guilty about their anxieties and regard them as a defect of faith, but they are afflictions, not sins. Like all afflictions, they are, if we can so take them, our share in the passion of Christ. By the way, the passion of Christ, it's referring to the last hours of his life when he is whipped with a cat of nine tails 39 times, almost to the point of death, made to carry a tree trunk a mile up a hill where he'll be nailed to it to suffocate to death in front of his friends and family. That was his passion. And leave that quote there for just a moment that 
For those of us living our faith out with boldness and loving people deeply, there will be hardship and affliction that comes your way. It is a natural occurrence. What matters is what you're doing with it and how you do it. And that's what I want to share with you. The, the big idea I want you to walk away with today is how we live boldly and love deeply in our life. And the first point is this, we, to know that we can do that because like the early disciples, we have been with Jesus. This may seem too simple to you, but I think it's the most important point I'm about to make. Verse 13 again, when they saw the Parisia, the boldness, the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. If you want to know how uneducated teenagers transform the course of human history, Acts 4 says it's because they'd been with Jesus. Can I confess to you that, you know, after leading a church and going through things, and many of you are leading ministries and other things out in the world to make an impact, I continually wrestle with this to where when you're good at doing things for Jesus, when are you just sitting with him, being with him? that no one ever did anything great for God unless they had first been with Jesus. Let's be specific. Like, spent time talking to him in prayer, opening his word, the Bible, and asking him to speak to us through it, worshiping together like we're doing now, studying at a deeper level scriptures, fasting and praying. If you're here today and you're struggling to live your faith out in the area of your dating life, have you fasted and prayed about it? I can tell you, as someone who grew up around going to church, being forced to go there, and I hated it, as a 19-year-old college student at the DePaul University, I had joined a fraternity house, and it was there that I began to help throw parties and do the things that people do in those places, and then I encountered Jesus in a very real way, and I went through throwing the parties to leading a Bible study in the fraternity house. And it's transformative, and it works but you have to be with Jesus because I'll tell you what happened. People lie to you all the time. They tell you, I'll become a Christian. It's going to be easy and great. You're going to go to heaven when you die. He's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. You may be going to heaven, but we don't know if he's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. But I can tell you this as a 19-year-old who went to a fraternity party sober for the first time. A lot of people lied to me. They told me it's going to be just as fun. You can have just as much fun without drinking. They're liars. (laughs) Was as much fun. 20 minutes in, I'm like, this is boring. You're acting weird. I don't want to be around this. Went home, went to bed, got up early the next day, started my day off. Never did that before. Like, I'm telling you, it's not the same. If you're going to live for Christ in your dating life, it's going to come at a cost. If you're going to live for Christ in your marriage, it's going to come at a cost of prioritizing. You don't always get what you want. You have to learn to love each other right where you're at. If you, if you want to actually see God work in your kids' lives or in your job or your career, there's going to come a cost. There's, a, there's afflictions, right? It's not sin. There's, there's a weight that you bear with it. And if you're going to bear that, you better make sure you're prioritizing being with Jesus. Because these teenage idiots could only get through and minister to people because they were in a prison cell, but they had been with Jesus. Did I make the point well enough yet? Just in case it didn't, I want to prioritize how important this is, this underground Jesus movement that we're describing over these four weeks together, that if you want to be a part of this 2,000-year-old underground church movement, you have to understand that there's going to be a cost at it. It's going to require it, and you're going to have to prioritize being with Jesus. By the way, we're not the first ones to have to do that. They did it in the early church that we just read about. 
They did it for thousands of years of church history. I want to highlight just a couple of them. Maybe some of you have heard of this before. It was in the 18th century. The Methodist church spread rapidly throughout the United States because of guys like Francis Asbury. They made a statue of him that you can see here. He's riding around on his horse. They would literally send out riders on their horses to the towns all over what was then the United States to go into towns and tell people about Jesus. What was different was they didn't require them to have a seminary education like the Anglicans and some of the other denominations that existed there. And so God raised up these ordinary people again, transformed their lives, and it was that transformed life that empowered and changed things in that era of church history. It's not just them. This is a more recent one. Anybody ever heard of the Jesus movement in the 70s in Southern California? Yeah, a bunch of of hippies came to Christ in Southern California in the 70s because they just prioritized being with Jesus. Or one of the more recent things, many of you know this, the last two decades the church has expanded rapidly in places like China and India where the underground church is living and active that you literally, at times at least, your life was at stake for coming together for a Bible study. But it was understanding that being with Jesus was the only thing that was going to get him through. My personal favorite is the Moravians. How many of you have ever heard of the Moravians? One. We'll hang out later. This is perfect. The Moravians came from Eastern Germany, and the first reformer that, you know, broke away from the the Catholic Church actually wasn't Martin Luther or John Calvin. Over a hundred years before uh, Luther posted the 95 Theses, actually this guy named Jan, uh, the the English version is John, but his name's actually Jan. So if you're here and you're like, God can't use me, not only use 11 uneducated, ordinary teenagers, he can use a man named Jan, so he can use you too. And Jan Hus actually was the first reformer, and this little church started in eastern Germany, and nothing really happened. They had to flee Moravia for fear for their lives, and they just kind of had this little church in this one little town. And then hundreds of years go by, and they begin to prioritize that they're just going to spend time praying. If you're like, what's a good, how long's a good time to pray? Like, a, you know, like an hour, two hours, a day? They prayed 24 hours straight for a hundred years. 24 hours straight for a hundred years, their church prayed. And they became the first church sending out missionaries to different parts of the world. That three quarters of a million people can claim faith because of the Moravian movement that was started by one little church that just prioritized praying. They understood the importance to be with Jesus. That's, that's why we do this 10-week thing called Rooted. Uh, you heard it about it in the announcements. It talks about what it means to be rooted in Christ. You're put into groups, and you meet on Wednesday nights right here in the facility and then break apart for different prayer experiences and other discipleship opportunities. And by the way, for the first time, we're going to offer some that aren't on Wednesday night. If you can never do Wednesday night, we're going to help you out. But there are, the ushers are going to come forward with the sign-up sheets. It's our first week doing that. We want everyone in our church to go through Rooted I encourage you to do it. It kicks off September 11th, so put that on your calendar. And it's only 10 weeks long. And whether you've been a Christian a long time or you're brand new and not a Christian, we have seen both be deeply impacted by this. I've been through it three times myself. Second point, if you're taking notes of how we live boldly and love deeply, you have to make Jesus your Lord. So you can be with him, yes, but then you have to actually make him your Lord. That we can live our faith out boldly and have passion because he's our Lord. One of my favorite passages that transformed my life and why we're all sitting here today was because I heard a pastor talk about Mark chapter 11. 
the triumphal entry of Jesus on Palm Sunday. And here's what it says in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. Now, you've been Christian too long, some of you. Did you understand what I just said? Now, we know as Christians today that it's fulfilling Old Testament prophecy that Jesus would ride a donkey, the Messiah would ride a donkey, according to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Okay, all that stuff. But what he told these teenage boys to just do, did you catch it? He told them, go into town, find a donkey, and steal it. Right? And if anybody asks you why you're stealing their donkey, what did he say to do? Tell them the Lord told you to. And I love this little part at the end of verse 4 there. The, the Lord needs it, and he'll send it back here shortly. It's not stealing. It's not stealing. Right? What would you, how would you respond if God asked something of you that you just could not even fathom or understand? It happens to me sometimes where I read the Bible and I just go, man, I'm pretty sure, I don't, I mean, I'm not God, but I'm pretty sure God got this wrong, right? <laughs> if he would just listen to me, I could change his mind and we could fix this problem. In order to see a movement of Jesus like we read in the New Testament and we've seen for 2,000 years, this is, every scholar agrees with this as they study these movements, there is always this overwhelming sense that Jesus is Lord. Why'd you do it? Well, the Lord told me to. There is an overwhelming sense of obedience to your Lord. It goes on. It says, uh, they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. And see, God provided, and he has his ways that sometimes we can't see or understand. When he is Lord, obedience follows. I've seen in my own life how that changed. I can remember as a young Christian, I had just gone to my first like worship service by choice in my entire life at 19 years old. And the next morning I got up and I went to eat at the cafeteria in the dormitory there. And I saw a senior who had been worshiping, was a leader in the ministry uh, a little bit behind me. And I was, don't judge me for this, all right? This is where I was at. Like I was in a fraternity house and they had this, uh, you have families in fraternities, right? I have a fraternity father and then someday... He would pass stuff on to me, and I'd pass on stuff to someone else. And our thing was this T-shirt that had been passed down for all these people, and I finally got it. And I was wearing the T-shirt that had been passed down from my fraternity father. And I'm not saying this is a joke, okay? Like, I'm just embarrassed about this. The shirt actually said porn star all over it. I, I'd just been to the worship service the night before, and the Christian leader standing right behind me. I'm standing there with my T-shirt that I think is really cool. Because that's where I was at. And I was like, it says porn star real big. And he looks at me and goes, hmm, yeah. I see what you're really about. And I felt super judged, right? That's how I felt. I felt like that for years, even after I became a Christian. And I go look back at that now and understand that, like, there was something going on in my life that was not lining up. I love the idea of going to heaven when I die, but I didn't like the idea of God invading my life now. I actually never wore that shirt again. I don't think I've ever told people that I never wore that shirt again. The underground movement of Jesus, if it's going to have impact, our allegiance must first be to Jesus as Lord. As Lord. 
That's why in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John's allegiance was so fully given to Jesus, they didn't even ask why he wanted them to steal a donkey. It's kind of like this. Uh, my wife was telling me our four-year-old did this the other day. So he's a lot of fun. He's hilarious. His name is Jet. He's four years old, and he likes to laugh a lot. But he was, had, did, he was doing what four-year-olds do today, which was playing the iPhone. And he had the iPhone in front of him, and then his older brother, Jake, wanted him to watch him as Jake was running around the room doing all this stuff. And Jet really wanted to honor his brother. So he, Lisa looks over at him, and she sees Jet doing this. He had pinched his eyelids, and then he was doing this, pulling them apart like this. And she goes, Jet, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm looking at my phone and Jake at the same time. I can see them both, Mom. And you laugh, but, but some of you, you're doing this right now. You're like, you're here at church. Like, I, I've been a long time, and I've been around church, and I hated church because this is what I always saw. You, you got people coming in the door, and they're like, oh, I love Jesus, and you're looking at Jesus in this side, and then you're like, but I love that over there. Oh, that looks, oh, that looks fun, too. I'd love it. And the world's got you going this way. Jesus got you going another way, and you've got to make a decision. You laugh because that's what you look like. You're going into, I remember uh, at that same time in my life as a young man that was wrestling with this stuff, I, I worked at a, a landscaping company. I didn't share this at the last service. I worked at a landscaping company, and I told them I needed a day off because I had to go to church camp. They're like, church camp? You go to church camp? I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. And you know why I went to go to church camp, because there are going to be girls there. And, and he looked at me, and he goes, this guy I worked with, he goes, I have never heard a Christian use the words I hear coming out of your mouth. I was like, oh, man, because I was doing this, right, trying to do two things at once. See, the early disciples see the impact made because they'd stopped trying to do looking both ways at once. They had made the choice to deny the world and the things of it and instead submit to the lordship of their heavenly father. And that's not easy. It means that there are going to be moments in time where it would have been easier to do what everybody else around you is doing. And you have to make the conscious choice that you're going to live differently. And it's, it never goes away, the tension of that. I still wrestle with it today when it'd be a whole lot easier not to do some choices we have made as a church, but we do it because we believe God is in it, Right? It'd be a whole lot easier sometimes to prioritize things that bring us, us good things and pleasures and the things we desire, whether they are physical or sexual or monetary or whatever else. And you have to make the conscious choice that even though I want these things, I want a life with Jesus more. It's what it looks like to make him Lord. That's why in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, the early church, they passed this part around. See, the, the letter to the Philippians that Paul wrote, he was a, uh, someone who came to Christ, had a radical life change, and he wrote these different letters to churches around the Roman Empire. And one of his last letters around 61 AD was a letter to the Philippians. And in chapter 2, he didn't have chapters, it was a letter, but what we call chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, there was this paragraph that was actually like a hymn or a creed that they would pass around and all the churches would read. And it says this, who, it's talking about Jesus, they would describe Jesus and they would say, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing 
by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Some of us, if we're going to follow our Lord, are going to have to be obedient to death. And it may not be death on a cross in American culture today, hopefully not, but it's going to be death to something that you desire and it seems really important to you. But if he is your Lord, are you going to be willing to give it up? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why do we expect God to fix our financial problems, our dating problems, our, our marriage problems, our problems with our children, problems with our workplace, to give us the job that we want? when well, we can't even do the most basic thing he's asking of us, which is to submit to him as Lord and not just the good gift giver. I think that's why we've seen some things in our church happen to reach people who were completely atheists or agnostic because there are people here that have stopped trying to be pulled in both ways and just go, Jesus, your Lord, tell me what to do. And if you feel powerless, if you're sitting here and you're like, no, okay, now you just made me feel bad and guilty about all the stuff I've done. You don't understand Jesus. Jesus came, he was crucified, that passion that we talked about rose on the third day. He went through all that, endured it all so that you could know that you're loved right where you are that he gave up his very life for you and he redeemed you and he forgives you for anything in your life, but it's going to take this one beautiful thing. You're going to have to turn to him and repent. To say, I don't want this old life. I don't want to go two ways anymore. I want to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to make you Lord of my life. And if you feel like, yeah, oh, that'd be great, but I'm powerless. I could never overcome my addictive habit, the problems that I'm facing in my life right now. You don't understand. Yes, I do. It's why it says, point number three, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit we began with Acts 4. We're going to end with Acts 4, verse 29. Now the Lord consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They pray for boldness again. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all what? Filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. If you're going to face whatever it is that you're going through to actually live out your faith boldly and to love people deeply and you know the problems that that's going to create for you in your life and your dating habits and your marriage, whatever it is, in your workplace with your kids, with your Netflix account, whatever it is, if you're going to do that, you need to know that the Spirit of God has been given to you to empower you to face whatever it is that you're going through. It's why in Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus gives up his life on the cross in verse 50, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. No longer was God's Spirit in a building in the most holy of holies where the ark of the covenant was kept but it now resides where in the lives of all believers we know of first corinthians 16 19 do you not know that your bodies are temples of the holy spirit who is in you whom you have received from god you are not your own if you've been with jesus and made him lord the holy spirit empowers you to date well to heal your marriage, to spend time with your family, to make your job your mission, to change the world through your finances, to stay physically healthy, even watch your Netflix wisely because the spirit God gives you, 2 Timothy 1.7, is not a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So if you're here today and you're like, I laugh the self-control and self-discipline to stop looking at things online that I should not be looking at, 
to stop dating the way that I should date because I give into these lustful habits, I want to tell you, you and your willpower may be good for a while, but it won't be good enough. What the Bible teaches us very clearly is that Jesus did not leave us alone. He gave us the Holy Spirit to empower you, to give you the self-control and self-discipline that we lack. And so what you need to do instead is go and be with Jesus when you are tempted by those things. Spend time with him. Make him Lord all over again of your life and then be empowered by the Holy Spirit working in and through you. Because he wants you to join this underground movement. It is here. The question is, is Jesus your Lord or are you running your own missions? Are you running your own missions? I encourage you guys to live boldly and love deeply in your sphere of influence by getting close to Jesus, loving him back with the way he first loved you. And I'll close with this. I didn't ask permission with, uh, to share this story because he's my friend and I don't ask permission anymore. And, uh, his name is David Rothenberg. I, I was thinking of all the people who've had their lives changed in our church. And and Dave was one of them who came to mind. He came to our church for three years as an agnostic guy and just would ask questions. And we started meeting one-on-one. He called it a small group. We met for three years. And then he had his life finally radically changed by Jesus. He got baptized right over there. He led a mission trip up to Detroit. He led or facilitated a rooted group. He's been in my discipleship huddle. I've seen the course of radical transformation And David today is living on mission in ways that Christians, many of us sitting here today who have sat in churches for decades, have never lived out the gospel of Jesus in the way that David has. And we all got a long way to go. But I want to challenge you today. If you make him Lord, he can use you. But it's going to require a life change. The the old is gone. The new has come. That you will no longer be the person that you once were. You're going to stop looking out both directions of your eyes. You're going to start submitting to him as your Lord and your life. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. But I also want to give the opportunity for some of you who have been Christians for decades and are living on mission to be rejuvenated during the season because sometimes you get to that point where you get worn down and you go, why am I getting so tired? Is this all worth it? Well, you need to relax and lean onto the Lord and find time to get away and spend time with Him. Absolutely. But you know what else you need to do? Here's Here's what I found. I also need to appreciate what it's like on the back end of it. When I got down running, I felt pretty good. And what I could say about David, if you would have told me when we first started meeting that I was beginning a three-year relationship of meeting with him one-on-one before he would finally give his life to Christ, I'd been like, I'm pretty busy. i got too much going on. And you'd probably do the same thing. But I can look back on that now and say that was one of the most worthwhile things I ever did with my life. But it only happens when you allow him to order your steps and go, okay, God, this life is yours. I want to give you the opportunity for both of those people groups to do that today. Will you pray with me, God, for those of us who have been Christians a while, that maybe you want to rejuvenate us here this morning to rekindle the passion in our life, to remind ourselves of the things that were really worthwhile in our life. If that's you here in the room and you would like to begin to live on mission with them in a fresh way, I invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I want to see you in ways, work in ways in my life I've never seen before. I surrender this week to you, this year to you. Elevate the ministry that you're going to do through me. And then for those who are in the room, and you've been around Christianity, but you have never declared him as Lord. I don't know whether you have salvation or not. That's not for me to decide. But I know that Jesus loves you. 
He forgives you for what's going on in your life, but he's going to ask you to do what it said there in that passage and submit to him as Lord. That every knee should bow and every tongue confess. If you'd like to do that, just pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I need you. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. On this day, I submit my life to you fully. Lord Jesus, use me. We love you, God, and we give you today. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.